and we are slim. Somebody came across a phrase that we're all here because we're not all there. That's a quote from what's south of zero of watching some of those survival things of people living in the Arctic. They're quite an interesting bunch. Anyway, we're all here because we're not all there. In the, over the Easter time, you know, there, there's some of the major locations of, of Easter the, is Golgotha, which is uh, just outside Jerusalem, um, or it was just outside Jerusalem. Now, if you go to Jerusalem, they will show you. Uh, if you ever go to Israel, just don't be excited by the sights. This is a total off the topic, but if you ever go to Israel, all the sort of special sites have been so spiritualized and, and you know ornate with silver and gold and candles and glass. And it's really quite depressing. But if you go to the region, that's where it's powerful. So Golgotha is uh, in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and it's you you go to the side and. Uh, there's gla- glass and you can just see down and then the tomb uh, is meant to be about from here to the back of the church and you go to this tomb that's all encased too and I went to the back of this tomb and there's a little hole in it where you can go in and sort of look, get on your knees and look at something and then there's a Coptic priest who says, do you want to buy a cross? Do you want to buy a cross? It, it really is quite the circus but Anyway, Easter has Golgotha, uh, where Jesus was crucified. It has the empty tomb, and that's also, you know, there are two locations for that in Israel, in Jerusalem. And it has the Emmaus Road. And uh, we're going to talk about the Emmaus Road, which is a, a short, uh, it's, it's, it's difficult for them to know exactly where that, that is today, but it's, it was a road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and the, the exact town, they're not quite sure where it was located. And the event that we're going to look at is it took place on the evening of the resurrection when Jesus appeared uh, to Mary at the tomb. And, and you remember she, she said Rabona and, he, said, and, and he, he says Mary and she just breaks down obviously because the most unexpected thing happened. This man who they'd loved and who they thought was dead and buried had risen. And kind of what do you do with that? It's so easy for us to, to be familiar with these truths and yet actually not know them. And uh, so it's good for us to have to reflect every now and again of just what is the impact of this. And the Emmaus Road is one of those moments of impact. Um, there's a guy called Malcolm Muggeridge. He's a British journalist and he was very um, anti-Christian for a long time and then very lapsed. I think he came from a Catholic background and... Uh, the Mayor's Road actually touched his life. He was doing a, he was doing a um, TV series there. I'll just read. In the 1960s, the great British journalist Malcolm Muggeridge made a BBC television series on the life of Christ. In the last scene, Muggeridge and a friend walked the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And Muggeridge wrote, uh, uh, no, he didn't, uh, never mind. Unknown to the viewing public, his Christian faith was in tatters and he was deeply troubled soul looking for answers to some of life's most perplexing questions. One of the things he had done Maybe before or after this, it might have been just after this, he, he had, did a very famous interview with Mother Teresa. The time he spent in the Holy Land turned out to be one of the defining moments of his life. 
The Road to Emmaus was the final installment of the documentary series and Mr. Muggeridge and his crew camped out on the road linking Jerusalem and Emmaus. One day while walking alone on the fa- that famous road, Mr. Muggeridge had an overwhelming sense of another presence. He was mystified. He neither saw nor heard any voice and then his heart began to burn within him. Much to his surprise, he ultimately came to the realization that the other presence was Christ himself. Mr. Muggeridge recounted his experience in a book he later wrote entitled Jesus Rediscovered. And he wrote, On every walk, Christ came to tell us whether to, whether to Emmaus, Wimbledon, or Timbuktu, there is one stranger waiting to accompany us along the way if we want him. And this uh, road to Emmaus and what we're talking about this morning is really a very simple thing. It's, it's actually a metaphor for prayer. It's a metaphor for uh, just in the middle of the struggles of life, allowing God to come and understanding that God does come. I mean, God, is, God wants to be as close to each of us as anybody could imagine. Um, and if you're like me, sometimes you go, well, that's great, but I, I don't feel you. And so there's this, uh, it's why we need one another, just as, as Jan was sharing. It's why we need to hear testimonies. It's why we need sometimes for other people to be able to help us to believe what we're struggling to believe in the, mo- in the moment. And so these two were walking along the Emmaus Road. Uh, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus and it, they're often described as two men but there's also quite a strong case for it being a, a husband and wife, uh, Cleopas and his wife, Mary, who was actually at the, at the cross when Jesus died and had travelled with the other Marys and, and was pretty close friend of Jesus. And uh, they, lived, they lived in Emmaus. And so that morning, Mary had come back to the disciples. When the disciples were gathered in the upper room, it wasn't just the twelve, it was a whole bunch of them. There probably could have been 80 or 90 of them. And uh, men and and women and probably some children. And they had come back and and heard this report of Jesus not having been in the tomb and Mary having encountered him. And they just... And then Simon's testimony as he ran off to sea as well. And and you can imagine the confusion the absolute confusion as to what is going on. And then just bring it back to our own lives. There are seasons where you just shake your head and say, what is going on? God, I thought, and then you fill in the blank. You cannot follow God, you cannot follow Jesus and not have those moments. Because it's just the clash of the kingdoms. They will happen, they do happen, they always happen. And I, So what happens then? What happens in the moments when it clashes and you go, oh God. What happens with Cleopas and his wife? Let's, I'm going to say that's who it was. It doesn't really matter. There was a loss of hope, a loss of direction, a, lot of, a loss of God's presence. And so they walk on that Emmaus Road away from Jerusalem. They walk away from the disciples. They walk away with broken hearts. Because broken hearts always lead you away. And they're talking about what happened. They're talking about their disillusionment. They're talking about their struggles. And they're talking about their questions. And then the stranger comes up. Because broken hearts lose hope. They lose vision. They lose direction. Broken hearts take us back to what we know. 
which is usually default behavior that's not very good. It's usually to the default of what we once were, like Peter goes back to fishing, whatever it is. I'm sure sometimes you get surprised at yourself and say, I thought I'd grown out of that. But in a reactive place, you get back into something that you think, oh, how depressing, I still am there. And it's the, key, the key is, how do you get out of there quicker? And you recognize it quicker. So, what if the whole of what Luke wrote about was taken out of the Scriptures? And all he wrote was um, Cleopas came into the disciples and said, it is true, the Lord has risen, has appeared to Simon, and he appeared to us on the way. Here's a clip, and see if you can work out why I'm showing it to you. What's that got to do with the Emmaus Road? It's why, it's why Luke included the whole story. There are a lot of people who don't say yes to Jesus because that's the presentation. You just got to trust me, just believe, have a great experience. This is my experience, trust my experience. And they go, no way. Oh, you faithless man. We're selling Jesus like a frozen hopper. Trust me. Come up to the front. Give your life to someone you don't have a clue who he is, but give your life to him. Take this with a pinch of salt, but get the point. Why? Because the road to Emmaus is about a conversation. The road to Emmaus is about people who are going, I don't understand. And it's actually a model of prayer, and it's a model of encounter, and it's a model of substance, because you don't buy the frozen hopper because you don't know what it does, and there's no substance to it. Why would I trust you? And one of the things that people need to be allowed to do is have conversations. And have conversations about what they struggle with or where they are. And be able to walk with people who will have conversations and listen. That's the beautiful thing about the invitation to walk with Jesus. And often we short-circuit them by cutting in on conversations, stopping conversations, and therefore preventing things that God wants to do that go deeper. What is it? It's about a walk of authenticity. What is authenticity? Authenticity is basically, if you're struggling, say you're struggling. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Why is that? I don't know. And he asked, what are you discussing together as you walk along? So if I was Jesus, I'd be saying, hey, Chloe, nice to see you. Surprise, I'm alive. But he doesn't. He, he, he takes on this other persona and he walks with them. And the first thing he says is, what are you thinking about? What are you talking about? So in our walk of prayer or in our walk of discovery, it's actually quite useful to ask somebody, what is the problem? Sometimes we're so busy giving the answer and they, it's not even the question. But to actually ask somebody what are they thinking about means I've got to say, take some time. And so 
They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem that does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Chief priests and our rulers handed him over to the Senate to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. They were totally puzzled. Totally confused, totally afraid. And they were walking away from Jerusalem, away from the empty tomb, away from the place of the resurrection, away from the disciples. And you know the good news is that whether we're walking away or whatever direction we're walking, Jesus is always going to come walking alongside because as the song says, he leaves the 99 for the one. And it's not just the one who doesn't know Jesus, it's the one who's struggling. So the stranger comes up and they say, what's wrong? They don't go, nothing. We're fine. They say what is on their hearts. And I have this passion for saying to us, we need to be authentic. There's no politically correct answer other than the one that's real, whether it's politically correct or not. See, nobody else can find reality for you other than you. You can't live off somebody else's testimony. And you can't live off somebody else's experience. And just because you've got a great Flosenhopper story doesn't mean I can buy it. And sometimes the way you talk, it feels like a Flosenhopper to me. And you go, but you might... And I go, no, you just sound like a Flosenhopper salesman. It's a lot of noise, but I can't get any substance. You see, the substance is not just my personal testimony. The substance is something beyond me. So what happens with Jesus? They don't recognize him. But he says to them, how slow you are to believe. And if I was doing this in a drama, I would have him smiling at them. Not, how slow you are to believe. I think he would be very gentle with them. How slow you are to believe the word of the prophet. And what does he do? He takes them into the scriptures. Because everything that happens with God and humanity has to be rooted in the scriptures. See, it's not rooted in my Flosenhopper or my experience of my Flosenhopper. It's got to be rooted in the scriptures, which means you actually have to read them. And so he takes them through these scriptures about the Messiah because their experience contradicted, their, their understanding and experience contradicted what the scriptures actually said, which is quite common for us. That's why we want to see the scriptures as something that Often you can read the scriptures and say, well, it doesn't make any sense to me, so I'm throwing it out. Rather than going, Lord, show me what the, you're saying through the scriptures so that I can be changed by the scriptures rather than I'm going to change the scriptures. So, their understanding of the Messiah and all the disciples was, and the Jewish teaching was, the Messiah will come, set, liberate Israel, set them free, and their thinking was from the Romans. 
was very much into their time, which is what we all do. You know, God is going to come and it's all about me and he's, he's, all he's worried about is my freedom right now. And he goes, I'm doing something international. And it might be that you never see the end of something in your lifetime. As he said about, he said, you know, they didn't see the coming of the Messiah. Many people didn't see the coming of the Messiah. And then when the Messiah came, and they even looked at the scriptures and they took out of the scriptures the paradigm that they read the scriptures with and they draw the wrong conclusion. Which is why when people say, well, it's in the scriptures, you say, well, what's in the scriptures? And how do you get it from the scriptures? And how do you know what you're getting from the scriptures is the word of God. And the reason, and what you do is you have to wrestle with it like the Bereans. You have to, you have to look at it together in the company of others with humility to ask, Lord, show me what you're saying here. And this week you will see this thing in the scriptures. I've been preaching out of the scriptures for 40 years. And when I started for the first few years, I, I still have them actually. I'm still about to have a bonfire. But I, had, I have all, uh, you know, this old filing cabinet with every book in the Bible. And every, every time I preached the sermon, I would put it in there because I'm going to use it again. I have never opened that filing cabinet. I, I never, ever but now I just burn them. I mean, I, my note, I just put them in the fire now anyway. But I, I, never, I never go back to anything I've said before because it's, when I go back, it's boring. And so I can have spoken on Emmaus Road 30 times. I haven't got a clue what I said before. But all I'm saying is the scriptures are alive. And so they come to life in different ways in different seasons. And God uses them in, in multiple ways to speak to us. There's not one in, there's a kind of basic interpretation, but I could use the Emmaus Road now to teach you on prayer. Or I could teach you on being authentic and walking with God. Teaching on how to deal with disillusionment. Teaching on the revelation of God through scriptures. Why scripture is so important. How do you get to your heart's burn within you? Because the, the Maus Road is the story of broken hearts becoming burning hearts. Broken hearts stay broken when they don't encounter Jesus, when they do not express what's going on in them and they don't go through the scriptures to find out where is God in all of this. And so Jesus didn't just come to them and say, here I am, the resurrected Flozenhopper. How happy are you? And they ran back and said, he's alive. He took them into the scriptures. Why? Because he's wanting what's happening to be rooted in something bigger and deeper. Your life is not about your emotions and your experience, even your opinion. It's about where is God and who is he transcending yourself. And all of us, when we, we walk with Jesus, will come to places where his way is not my way is pretty irritating. And often he'll just say, I thought you were dead. What's the problem? Because they saw the Messiah in that way of a political uprising and then he goes to the cross and then he goes to the tomb and they don't have a clear understanding and it's not that easy to access it even from the scriptures that the Messiah will rise on the third day. It's, it, it's not clear Often scripture becomes clear after you spend time with it and then you put these things together and you, then it's obvious. But it's not always obvious. And so as he opened the scriptures to them, what he did was to give them 
an understanding of God's ways and how God spoke and this is what was to happen and this is what, what was to happen with Jesus who was the Messiah but he didn't look act, he didn't look like the Messiah they were expecting. He wasn't just for the Jews, he was for all people. And often the God that is revealed to us is saying it's not just about you, it's about what I'm doing in all kinds of places. And so they read the scriptures together and it was out of that how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So one of the things that we need to learn and need to, to ask God to give us is a hunger for his word. And Ev's going to love this. But a, a hunger for his word. But not a hunger for his word in itself. It's just like a hunger for his word to bring enlightenment into my heart. A hunger for his word to actually speak into my life. Now. A hunger for his word to encourage me. So I started off this morning with Psalm 91, which has just been a, a cool psalm for, for me personally to read in these last weeks and days. And it's a psalm about God's faithfulness. So what does it do? I read it and uh, I hear God in a sense saying to me, take this and hold it. And it's about his faithfulness. Uh, you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him. There are many, many, many scriptures, but at certain moments you feed on something and it burns you. And you go, thank you, Lord, for your promise. Thank you for the reminder of your faithfulness. Thank you for the reminder that I'm your son. Thank you that I, for your reminder that in the midst of turmoil I'm safe because I'm abiding in you. Read the scriptures. Read the Psalms. Psalms, Psalms are like the road to Emmaus. They usually start with something tough and then it ends with but God. And that's the authentic side of it. This is put in as a full story because its power is in the process. Conversations are about how we discover that God is real in our process right now and how we discover what he's saying. And sometimes, believe it or not, as we walk along together with Jesus, he says, how foolish you are. Let me show you. And he changes your mind. He shows you that what you were believing was not consistent with who he is. And as you begin to see, very often you'll breathe a sigh of relief and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you that it's better than I thought. Or it's deeper than I imagined. Or it's wider than I could see. And so they read those scriptures together and they came to the place where they were to live, where they were living. And for some strange reason, Jesus carries on. 
And maybe it's because he keeps on needing to be invited in. But he's still a stranger to them. So they're about to move on and he's about to move on and they say, why don't you come and stay? Because there's something about you that is compelling for us and you're feeding us. And so he goes into their home and as he goes into their home, well, they go into their home and they have a meal and as they're having the meal, he breaks the bread and they say, oh, it's Jesus. And then he disappears. You go, why didn't you hang around a little longer now that we recognize you? Because the mission is accomplished. He's teaching his disciples how they're going to have to walk by faith. So he's giving some testimonies where others like us are not going to have those testimonies so that we might believe. And so these two who had left Jerusalem downcast and puzzled and broken expressed that downcast, broken puzzlement to the stranger and as they expressed it and he responded they began to see something they hadn't seen before what does that mean you and I are not meant to walk any road alone and we're not meant to be putting on a stiff upper lip or a brave face or a proud countenance that says I'm fine or this doesn't matter we're not meant to spiritualize life as if we don't exist. We're not meant to give spiritually beautiful answers when we're crying out inside. Flows and hopper theories. We're meant to say it hurts when it hurts. We're meant to say I don't understand when I don't understand. And we're meant to say this is the what's going on with me. That is not negative, what you're doing is processing life in order that Jesus can give you something. Because if you don't process it, you don't, it's like digesting truth. It never becomes real. One of the things you learn doing the job I've been doing for years is that you can't give people Flosenhopper answers for life. When a marriage breaks down or a child dies or something terribly unfair happens, you can't give a frozen hopper response. Jesus loves you. Don't worry, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. You have to weep with those who weep. And you have to wrestle with those who wrestle. You have to give them space to be able to wrestle with safety. And to say that's an important process. You will discover that Jesus is with you. Right now, we're going to discover that we need one another. So we're going to walk this road together and you can say whatever you want. And I'm going to listen to you. And then I'm going to ask God to give me a creative way to be able to encourage you with his presence is still here. And actually you're helping me because I'm going to have to give you a reason for the hope that I say I have. You see, it's easy to live Christianity at a frozen hopper level, which is superficial, spiritual answers, to deeper questions that require deeper answers, even if it's I don't know. And to love people is to walk with them and allow them to express whatever it is they're experiencing. Now the key, and this is where we often fall short, is the stranger walks alongside Cleopas and his wife. By the time they get to their home, the stranger is as depressed as Cleopas. 
and they all go into having a meal and having a drink because I don't know. It's really easy, and this is what you will find, it's very easy to get sucked into the struggles of other people and suddenly you become where they are. And you bear their struggles, which is not your calling. Your calling is to bear witness to Jesus, support each other, but not go into each other's funks. And to also, the the beginning of freedom is to say, I know who Jesus is. I don't have wisdom for everybody's situation. I don't know the answers to the whys of everything. Not even close. I don't know why this happened to you. I do know this. I know that you don't deserve it. In other words, if you won the lottery today, you don't deserve it. If you had a terrible accident, and there was a terrible accident on the highway actually on Friday, somebody was killed, you don't deserve it. There's a broken world in which we live life in all its mystery, and it's very unfair. And Jesus said, I'll be with you in the midst of it. So I can't link the dots as to why things happen. All I can do is say, Jesus, where are you here for us right now? So I trust the character of God. And the character of God is who I bear witness to. Because he is ultimately our answer. And ultimately it's, I will be with you in the midst of. Because there are many, many times in life where we're going to say, we had hoped. I had hoped. And it doesn't pan out as I had hoped. And I can either, because I've done it, I can either leave Jerusalem and be gone for for months or I can go for a walk with a friend or two and go, this is what I'm struggling with. And if my friend can't listen to me and is just intent on giving me an answer or interrupting my sharing of my story, chances are I'm going to end up with a sort of frozen hopper solution. It's not like I'm not going to go with a walk with you again to try and share my life because I don't get anywhere. But I will go for a walk with somebody who actually just listens and then maybe reflects on what we've been talking about together and we find a place where hope begins to rise. See, the, the Holy Spirit will use all kinds of things You don't have to be very spiritual for the Holy Spirit to come through you and somebody's heart to burn. But you want to steer back to what is God saying? Who is he? How has he revealed himself in the scriptures? And then where I want to where is Jesus here? Because the ultimate goal is in every situation to recognize the presence of Jesus. And sometimes that walk to recognize his presence is maybe just around the block. Sometimes it seems to go on for days. Jesus, where are you? Because when I see you, hope will rise up. Because where Jesus is present, the fruit of his presence is present, which is hope, his peace, his faithfulness, his love, his kindness. The fruit of Jesus is just, you you can't mask it. So, The Emmaus Road journey is a journey of how to continually go on relational talks with one another. We need one another. So, we had hoped. So really, I've I've often said the, the, the the question to ask somebody is, tell me about the God you don't believe in. 
or tell me about the thing that's upsetting you now. What what had you hoped? What was your expectation? Maybe it was a false expectation. There's a marketing thing we used to do in, in, in consulting where it was about um, you don't have to sell you don't have to sell a product, you have to help people buy it. You don't have to sell Jesus. You just describe him. You show where he is in the scriptures, you talk about his life. He will, he, he, will, he will reveal himself to anybody. You don't have to market him. Persuade somebody. He will do that. So following God involves times of testing and times of confusion and times of struggle. Share the journey with one another and those who happen to be present. Jesus may be among them. You might well be surprised. Sometimes we're asking God, I've said this before, sometimes we're asking him for a prophetic word and he says, just have a conversation with your friend. Listen. I'll speak through them. I'll speak through some very, very interesting sources if you're listening. I told you when I went to Cape Town last year, I can't remember what it was. I was struggling with something. And I can't even remember the words of it, but I came up this escalator in a shopping mall and this, this advert of this guy looking at saying, there was some caption on it, I can't remember it completely, but God spoke to me through that. And he just said, don't give up or something. You never know what he will use. But it's important. I just want to give you three points as we go. Share the journey, share the journey, share the journey. And be authentic. Which is be you. Not what I want you to be or what, what, not what you wish you would be. Just be you and God will meet you there. And let people be themselves. Sometimes we don't want to let people be themselves or we don't get close to them because we don't know what to do with them. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to have an answer. You don't have to have anything. If you're just actually having coffee, that would be cool. We don't have to know. Sometimes the most encouraging thing to tell somebody is, I haven't got a clue either. But I know God is good and kind. Just don't say God is good and kind at the beginning. It's irritating like a mantra now. God is good, God is good, God is good all the time, God is kind. I want to go, shut up. We'll get there. But I just need to rant a little bit first because it doesn't feel good right now. You agree? I mean, you understand what I'm saying? It's just meet the person where they are. And the only way I know where they are is to give them time. Read the scriptures and allow others to teach don't just read the scriptures in your own. That's why the Bible studies are important, the women's meeting, the, the small groups. It's good to read the scriptures together to say, what does this mean on Wednesday mornings when we gather? F does a great job of leading that Bible study, which is just chewing over things and different things come. And If, uh, if you do this habitually, you'll be amazed how much you begin to sort of digest, even when you're not aware of it, the flavor of the gospel and flavor of who God is. And read, you know, read, I love Bill Johnson's thing of saying, you know, I read the Psalms until something makes me come alive. If you want to hear God sometimes, just go open up the Psalms. One of the games I play sometimes is just say, give me a number between 1 and 150, and I just sort of go, oh, 112. Sometimes that's inspiring, sometimes it's not. It's just a game. But I, I skim through the Psalms on either side. And in a sense... Uh, you can, you can do that to just read it until some word comes alive to you and you hear God's voice for you and then just take hold of that and say, God, thank you. 
And then after breaking bread, Jesus disappeared and they had to get on with this life of revelation. And what they did when they, they had the revelation of Jesus is very simple. They went back to the disciples. They had a testimony. You know the cliche, you can't have a testimony if you don't have a test. And they went back with a testimony. We saw Jesus and this is what happened. And so not only did they get blessed by the burning in their heart, but the others with them said, whoa, here's here's some more. Which is heightening our faith and heightening the reasons for us believing. So the burning hearts took them back to Jerusalem, re-engaging with their community. Hope was restored. What road are you walking on this morning? What direction are you going in? 